Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at cardboardtoheadboard.org. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You're listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and today I am joined by ESPN reporter and ESPN Milwaukee radio host, Jen Latta. Jen is candid while sharing encouragement over advice for those looking to work in the sports industry. She talks about letting go of control, the importance of timing, and the importance of confidence and where she first got hers. Plus college game day, E60, and so much more. This is a really fun and inspiring conversation that you don't want to miss. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. We are very, very happy to have you. Uh, I mean, we as in Fangirl Sports Network, it's obviously just me here right now, but we are very, very happy to have you here. And I've so been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, you are doing so many cool and exciting things on ESPN. So I just want to talk about all of it. Uh, so I felt like maybe a good place to start was if you could just kind of take us a little bit through your professional journey. Uh, where you first began, I know it was uh, in the Midwest, uh, and kind of how you ended up at ESPN, and then we'll just keep diving on in. Definitely. Um, I, like a lot of people, I went to school to be a broadcaster. I went to Marquette University, but I always tell people that if we're being honest, my journey in this industry, Tracy, started well before that. And mm-hmm. it's, I always call it like the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs. Like you don't realize where they're leading, but when you like do that like macro look at things, you're like, oh yeah, that kind of was the start. So I was in plays when I was uh, very young, when I was in middle school, I did, um, I was a lectern at church. So my parents were really big on like, get out in front of people, present yourself, like learn how, because their thought was no matter what your industry is, you're going to have to be able to present yourself. And confidence is so valuable in so many industries. So they kind of like, it's kind of like the mom pushing the baby bird out of the nest, right? They were kind of like, get up there, like read from the book. (laughs) Um, And so I always look back and say like, wow, I didn't realize it, but all of those things were kind of preparing me. I did pageants when I was in high school as well, trying to get scholarship money for college. And it was really preparing me for a career in this industry. Um, So like those are the very early seeds that got planted that really put me on this path to having success at a very young age. I went to Marquette to be a broadcaster uh, at the time. It was, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. Women weren't really covering sports. 
Mm-hmm. And I know that that sounds absurd, right? Because it's like, well, how many That's years true. ago was that, right? But it's mm-hmm. so true. There were so few women in the sports broadcasting business that it really didn't seem like a realistic or even possible career. And it wasn't until my junior year, really, like late sophomore, early junior year, that I was able to pivot to sports because I was starting to see women being hired more regularly, right? It wasn't just like one random woman in the press box who was doing updates for some you know, outlet. People were starting mm-hmm. to put women on air in the local markets. And so while you could look at a person like Hannah Storm or Robin Roberts at the national level, like it had to start somewhere, right? I couldn't jump from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to the national level. And so it required these places to start hiring people. So long story short, I went to school in Milwaukee. As soon as I graduated, I got a job with a high school show that aired once a week. It was pre-produced, but you would go out on a random night, mostly Friday nights for high school football in the fall, and you would shoot a football game. And then you would go back to the production offices and you'd, you know, import all of your video and then cut the clips, cut the highlights. You know, back in the day, you used to bar them, right? That's such Mm -hmm. an old term, but like you would flip the switch on your camera and it would show color bars. And that's how you marked the touchdowns or the interceptions or the big plays, even sometimes the quarters and the halves, just so like you could keep a log of where you were. And so you'd go back through and you'd fast forward on your old reel to reel machine and we'll look for the bars and then rewind and cut that clip and then write highlights to the plays, voice track, and then that would air on Saturday morning. So long story short, that was my resume reel. And I sent it out to every corner of the United States looking for a job. I got two bites, one in San Diego, California, one in Rockford, Illinois. Super excited about the opportunity in San Diego, except that the sports director sexually harassed me almost the entire time I was out there. And I've been like really, I've been pretty vocal about like what went down, like all the details are out there on Twitter and even on some websites, but it was such a rude awakening to the industry. It was like, holy crap, is this honestly what I'm getting myself into? And so that opportunity ultimately did not pan out, which really was for the best because I would have been thousands of miles away from my home and my support system. And I don't know how, if I would have survived, I don't know if I would have gotten contentious and bitter, you know, if that was something that was a part of my daily existence, ended up getting the job in Rockford, Illinois, which was great because I'm from Northern Illinois. So I was able to live at home because I was making no money. And when I say no money, I mean, when I say that, Tracy, I mean, like I had to go to the secretary of the GM and ask for a loan on my first couple of paychecks in order to afford the gas money to drive back and forth from my parents' house in McHenry County to Rockford, Illinois. Like that's how poor it was, like dirt poor. Um, And it's just funny to think of like how far I've come when you start talking about like those types of challenges. But that's what I tell people about this industry. Like you have to be willing to slog through the mud through like these really dark days when you're not sure if there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, because that persistence ultimately does pay off. Um, So after Rockford, I got a job in Milwaukee. I was in Milwaukee for seven years covering all of the local teams, which was, again, very familiar to me because I had gone to Marquette in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And then from Milwaukee, I went to Chicago, uh, again, very close to my family. I always, I've been like in this like triangle for like a huge <laughs> part of my career. And then um, after two years in Chicago, I got the job at ESPN. I've been there now for a little over five years. And just last year, my family and I moved back to the Midwest. We're back in Milwaukee. My husband got a job with the Bucks and the Brewers. And oh, so wow. 
my job, it, it really, I was traveling everywhere, right? I travel for game day, I travel for assignments, and I was doing a little bit of studio work. And so I asked my bosses, I said, listen, like, we're doing long distance, we've got kids, this is becoming too much. I'm traveling for all of my features anyway. I'm happy to fly back and forth to do studio work. What do you guys say? And ESPN was gracious enough to to allow me to do that. Which is funny because we were about a year ahead of COVID shutting everything down. We're you like clairvoyant. No one is traveling, right? Everybody's doing work from home. And so it's really, really worked out. Um well for me. Um, Three months ago, I got hired to be a a morning host at ESPN Milwaukee. So I've been doing the seven to nine show Monday through Friday. And that's Mm -hmm. been another great opportunity. So it's interesting how things always end up working out the way that they're supposed to, because I'm one of those people, Tracy, who so often tries to control the outcome or strategize Mm -hmm. my way across the chessboard. And I finally have gotten to a point where I'm like, Whatever happens is what's supposed to happen. And, you know, look, I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 in January. It took 40 years of living at like this type A personality where I'm like, no, 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 I can I can make this happen. I can get my way if I just play the right cards and to kind of throw my hands up in the wheel and be like, you know what, Jesus, go ahead and take the wheel. I'm good. You, You know, you got this. That is fantastic. I I have so many things that I want to unpack there, Uh, but I'm going to start with what you just said, because I think it takes most of us, most of our lives, or at some point as we say, okay, you know what? You can't control everything. I can control what I'm going to control. And beyond that, I'm just going to let what happens happen. Did you have a moment where it changed for you? Was it just, you know, over time? Or I'm just thinking for our our young women who are listening today and, and are like, no, I need to control everything. Is there advice you can give them for being able to just kind of let go a little bit? You know, it's so strange to say this out loud, but I actually know the moment was when my most, my youngest daughter was born. So, you know, I think we had had several losses, pregnancy losses, and they were devastating. And I felt like a failure. And I thought, what could I have done differently? Did I do something to contribute to this outcome? And of course, I know in my logical self that that was not the case. But your illogical self has a way of kind of speaking louder sometimes. And so I got stuck listening to my illogical self. And I really down spiraled when we had these miscarriages. And yet our youngest daughter was born. And she's perfect. And she's exactly what our family needed. And you know what I'm saying? So that puzzle Mm -hmm. piece would have never happened if those other things, if those other pregnancies had taken. And so that was kind of the aha moment for me of like, gosh, I was so frustrated that things didn't go the way that I wanted them to go. But what ended up happening is so much better, right? And so like Mm -hmm. that for me, I know it's not professional specific, but in my life, that was kind of the aha moment of stop trying to control everything. Stop like being so devastated or despondent when things don't go the way that you think they're supposed to go, because something better is probably waiting on the other side of the next door. And I think that's such a good attitude. And and I believe so fully in that. Um, And I just think, and, and I think it's interesting, you said it's not necessarily professional and and maybe there is no advice to give for that. Like that might be something everybody has to get to on their own. But I hope for the women listening that they can take a moment and say, okay, everybody goes through their journey and everything happens as it should, you know, in the way that it should for the most part. I, I remember talking to a friend many years ago and she said, you know, as you get older, you realize things don't always work out as they should. And I said to her, I disagree. I think they sometimes don't always work out how you want them to in the moment. 
but they do work out how they should. Right. And she was, and I, and she, it's like kind of stuck with both of us. Um, and we thought about that. And again, I, I'm not advocating the secret where you sit on your couch and close your eyes and just hope it all works out as it should. I mean that for your working and doing and doing everything you need to do. But I, I think it's an important lesson for us all because sometimes it's hard not to feel like we can control everything and we just have to let go a little bit. There's a Disney movie, Tracy, called Inside Out. And it, it's funny because it shows these like characters at the control panel of your brain, right? There's like sadness and joy and and anger and envy. And they're like sitting there playing your brain like a like a video game or something. And I think mm-hmm. about that like when I think about a type A personality like me, how I always want to be at the helm. I want to be like pulling the lever and hitting the button and dinging the bell and all of these things. And then and it's exhausting. Because like you have this vision in your head of how it's supposed to turn out, what you're aiming for. And like again, I use the the analogy of the chessboard. And if I just strategize correctly and, and make this person an ally and let this person know how valuable I am and do a good job when I'm doing this, then obviously it's going to lead to blah, whatever it is. And like the opposite of that approach is so freeing. Yes, you're absolutely right, Tracy. You have to still work hard. You have to still know your content. You have to still, you know, be kind to other people, right? And treat people mm-hmm. that you work with well and treat people that you come in contact well. But if you're doing those things, it'll all work itself out, right? Talent is still the number one thing in this industry. You have to be talented. But after that, it's very hard to strategize your way to success when your definition of success might be different than like what the plan is for you. And that took a lot Mm -hmm. of time to like wrap my brain around, right? Like I always felt like if I just work hard and work hard and work hard, I'm going to elevate to this certain level and who could stop me and why would anyone want to? There's so many things that are out of your control. In this business, timing is so huge, right? The number of people who are extremely talented but may not get an opportunity this year because of COVID because companies just aren't hiring, because broadcast you know, networks aren't making money. You know what I mean? Like, that's a tough situation to be in. And like, you could sit there and try to like, maneuver your way through success. But these are extenuating circumstances. And sometimes it's okay to just be like, this is a strange year. And it might not work out the exact way that I expect it to. But it will work out so long as I keep being diligent, keep working hard and keep treating people well. A hundred percent. Amen. I like that was perfect. So well said. Well, that's good. We're good. We're done for today. Good luck. (laughs) But I think so, so important. So you said something else uh, before we get to college game day and everything you're doing now. You said something else earlier about your parents really putting you out in front and you learning that confidence. Is that something that you are doing or planning to do with your own girls or what's the, the line there? For sure. I think, first of all, I have a th- almost three-year-old and I have an almost one-year-old daughter. I also have a 12-year-old son. So it's really interesting how, I wouldn't say that I parent them differently. We're obviously teaching them the mm-hmm. same lessons, but I'm trying to also adequately prepare my daughters for a world where their voices may be dismissed at times. Their voices mm-hmm. may be, you know, ignored. Um, and so I don't want to punish the spunk out of my daughters, right? Like when they're Mm -hmm. spunky with me or they, you know, have a little bit of that sass, like I know that those are going to benefit them down the road. I had a boss um, probably 10 years ago at this point who told me that I was brusque and it's stuck with me ever since because there was a part of me that was like, 
you have to be a little brusque in this industry in order to be taken seriously, in order for people to realize like, no, man, I'm here to stay. You can't just shoo me away and expect me to like wilt like a flower, you know, in the, in the Mm -hmm. heat. Um, And I think that while it really bothered me at the time, and obviously still is one of those things that I hold on to, it just was an indication that that person didn't know what it required to be a woman in the sports industry. And so not that my girls will necessarily follow in my footsteps and be in this field, but my goodness, we're seeing it across the board where women are having a difficult time conveying their value and being paid the same amount as their male counterparts. And I feel like the spunk that these girls have is only going to benefit them. So the last thing I want to do is like punish them for it or make them self-conscious for it. I think there was a part of our generation growing up, speaking of mine, where there was still this like, oh, that's cute, but we really don't want to hear what you have to say. Oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Shut up and smile. And so I don't want to teach those things to my daughters. But similarly, I don't want to teach them to my son either. Like I'm mm-hmm. teaching him that it's important to listen to all voices, to understand that like different perspectives are valuable for conversation. We always talk about diversity and people think about diversity of race or diversity of religion, but like diversity of thought is what makes us better in our production Mm -hmm. meetings, on the air, you know, in any, in any scenario that we're in, in this business. So teaching my son to also appreciate a woman's point of view, teaching my son that he's not better than, or he doesn't deserve more than someone else just because of the genders, that'll go a long way as well. Right. And anyone that he can have influence on his friends, his peers, we're raising our kids to be leaders. And so that means like you're sometimes going to have an unpopular opinion, but stick with it because trust in your upbringing and trust in your character and trust in, you know, knowing that you're probably in the right if you're following the things that we've taught you. I don't know if you've read Untamed by Glennon Doyle, but she talks about that uh, with her daughters, you know, similar idea. And that with her son, she realized one day she had such a responsibility on how she raised him to treat women and to listen to women. And and I think it's so important. So it's really wonderful to hear you say that because it's a huge part of it. That's where the change, you know, both places is where the change is going to happen. And it's interesting. It's not just like the generation that comes after us, but like I always feel like I have an opportunity as well to help. I don't want to say enlighten, but like encourage the older generation, right? So sometimes my Mm -hmm. dad will make an offhanded comment about a woman on television or a woman on the radio. And I always pause and like react to it to him. Like, dad, those are the things that people say about me. And like, you Mm -hmm. would defend me till his last breath, right? Acknowledging Mm -hmm. like, all the work that I've put in, acknowledging that he knows my depth of knowledge when it comes to things. Like, so why is it any different for that woman on television? You know what I'm saying? Or like Mm -hmm. when a guy is like, oh, I just don't like the sound of her voice. Like, stop. What are you saying? Are you saying the same things about your male counterparts? Or is this just like ingrained misogyny that you don't even realize is coming out? Um, So my dad and I have had some of those difficult conversations as well. And I think like the older I get and the more I kind of go toe to toe with him in those conversations, right? There's a certain level of respect. I think he started to see like, yeah, that is just such an older opinion of like where women should be or how women should be contributing, you know, or where we tolerate women in these professional spaces. And that's been super valuable for him. I'm sure that it has been. And it's so important. And it, a lot of it, and, you know, in some ways is generational. And, and it, but if you're open-minded and you're listening and having conversations, you know, that makes all the difference in the world. And I, and I love that you said that because I don't think we talk enough about that in 
also teaching the older generations. Um, Because sometimes people, like your dad says that and he doesn't even realize, you know, he's not even thinking it in that way. Uh, So I think that's awesome that you're able to have those conversations with him and, and teach him as well. It's always very important. So let's talk a little college game day. I mean, we have so many things that you're doing that are so awesome. But let's start with college game day. Uh, You obviously talked a lot about the Midwest. I went to the University of Michigan. So obviously, college football and game day is a very important uh, part of my week, even though oftentimes it ends in sadness for me. But that being said, I still love it. So if you could talk a little bit about college game day, how you prepare for that. And then I want to talk about how it's different this season, because of course, none of us are really traveling. So you're absolutely right. I am not traveling for college game day this year. That may change as the season goes on, but as we've started the year, um, they're really keeping it down to just as few people as possible. So you're seeing all of our main guys on a very, very large set, as you can see there <laughs> yes. with every show, you know, but Lee Corso is at his home in Orlando. So that just goes to show uh, coach a huge part of the show, but, you know, not taking any chances with his health and certainly, you know, trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. So uh, it's a very, very different year. Our show thrives Um from the audience interaction and the thousands and thousands of people that gather on those college campuses every single Saturday morning. And so when it became apparent that COVID was going to, you know, still be a thing in the fall, my bosses had to, you know, reframe. They had to, you know, just change the direction of the show. And I think they've done a really good job doing so. They have a lot of the virtual fans at home interacting. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a it's a great show to be a part of because it's a lot of the smartest people at ESPN who are involved. Um, I feel like Kirk Herbstreet is one of the best, if not the best, at what he does. And I feel like Reese mm-hmm. Davis is the same. And Dez and David and Bear, like, they're really good at their jobs. And then it goes even a step further to the people behind the scenes. Like, we have really creative minds who are in charge of that show. So, like, how can we take something interesting that's going on or how can we take this story and instead of just delivering it in a cut-and-dry way, how can we make it fun for the audience? Um, so it's always demanding that you push your own boundaries and you ask yourself, how could I do this differently? COVID obviously has taken a toll on our ability to interact with people, to be able to Mm -hmm. sit down and chat. And you don't realize as a reporter how much information you glean just from a few conversations or just from walking Mm -hmm. into a clubhouse or a locker room or walking up and down a sideline and like, you know, feeling the vibe or overhearing interaction with players. It's just... You know, and, and a lot of our sideline reporters are doing that from the stands now, right? Like they can, mm-hmm. they can be there and there's no fans in the stands. So they're walking back and forth in the first row of the stands. So it's just a strange time to be like telling people stories because we don't have the access that we normally would. Um, but I think we're doing a good job of like making sure we're telling the COVID stories, making sure we're on top of the developments, you know, when coaches are coming down with COVID-19 and how that affects the team when the coach isn't there. Um, there's a situation in Wisconsin now where the starting quarterback, Graham Mertz, who had an enormous game last Friday against Illinois, five touchdowns, a program record, um, as a redshirt freshman, mind you, he tested positive for COVID the very next day. And then they thought it was maybe a false positive. So he tested again on Sunday and it turns out that it is a positive. So per Big Ten standards and protocol, he has to sit out for 21 days. Like what a what a dramatic change that is, right? What what's mm-hmm. I mean that's something that they're dealing with that like 
is it's just crazy to think about. So I just think like we want to make sure we're staying on top of those stories as well, making sure that those aren't like going by the wayside. But I would be lying to you, Tracy, if I said that like I'm missing some of those like heartfelt human interest stories this year, because a lot of that happens when you're interacting with players one-on-one, coaches one-on-one, you're in a production meeting for a game and somebody mentions something in passing and it's just enough to put the bug in your ear to do a little bit of digging and investigation and oh, all of a sudden we've got this incredible story that nobody knew about. Like that mm-hmm. only comes from access and so we're really, really relying on those relationships that we've developed and you can imagine it's the same in the NFL, I'm sure. Like these people, they're running around with their heads, like chickens with their heads cut off too, right? So like sometimes you have a conversation with somebody be like, all right, spill the beans. Like what's going on over there? Who should we be in? And they don't even have time for that because they're COVID protocol and, you know, who's going to be out on the sideline this week and who needs to do this? And it's just, so again, it's just a very different environment and you just can't be complacent and think that the things you've done in previous years are going to get you to the finish line this year. Absolutely. And you're right. It is similar in the NFL. Um, We're not, at least right now, I'm not traveling for away games, which first of all is very strange to get used to being home, watching a game and then jumping on a Zoom press conference, you know, after the game. But there is a difference. And then not being, for us, and not being in the locker room as a beat reporter, you know, it makes a big difference. And I think that they've done a really good job with the Zoom press conferences. And, you know, pretty much you're always going to get your question is, question in, but it is not the same in as walking by a locker and noticing something. You're like, oh, wait, what's that hat? Oh, so-and-so gave it to me because, but you know, and now you have a story um, or whatever the case may be. Does it go back to a little bit though of he being able to relinquish a little bit of that control and kind of accepting that that's where we are right now and you can make up for it in other ways and you certainly can't be complacent, but that also it's, it's okay if it's different. It doesn't make it bad. Well, I love that you mentioned the hat, just kind of as an aside thing, but the number of stories over the years, even before I was at ESPN, Tracy, that I would get from a player wearing a bracelet, Uh it would blow your mind. It would blow your mind, right? Because these players all wear those like rubber bracelets that have the name of a cause on it. And you see a guy and you see him frequently enough. And when they have a new one on, you're like, oh, what's that? Oh, it's this kid. You know, I heard about him. He has cancer. He's a huge fan. Boom, story. Right? Mm -hmm. How often Mm -hmm. are we seeing these guys up close enough to be able to, like, ask them about it? And, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, little stuff like that when you're talking about these human interest stories. um, You don't even realize where a story is going to come from. But so often it is just that, like, oh, what's that? Funny story. Let me tell you about it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think you're right. We have to relinquish control a little bit. We have to realize that things aren't the same this year as they've been in the past. But the other thing that I'm trying to get used to is some of these things might be here to stay. Like I've talked Mm -hmm. to college coaches and I've talked to SIDs who say, like, listen, we're realizing that, like, this is a much more inexpensive and efficient way to do things, right? Like when we've had production meetings, we fly in on a Thursday and then Friday we're in production meetings all day and then we do the game on Saturday. Well, why do we have to be there now? Why can't we do production meetings via Zoom, right? And Mm -hmm. you spend another day at home and that's one less day at a hotel that the company is picking up. So there's all of those like little things that don't be shocked if some of the things that we've done strictly in this COVID world stick around afterward because it costs less 
and it's more mm-hmm. efficient. Um, so I think, again, if we think that things are going to go back to the way that they were, I think we need to prepare ourselves for some of these things being a part of our daily routine going forward. I think that is excellent advice and a good thing for people to be prepared for because I agree with you, especially from a cost perspective. I think companies on, in all industries are realizing maybe I don't need to spend however much money to send people on a flight and hotel rooms. And that's probably there's probably going to be more of that not in sports because, of course, sports, live sports. But I think you make a great point there. And I think it is something everyone has to be prepared for. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. It's how we evolve. And it'll be interesting in 20 years when someone else has a podcast like Get My Job and that whoever and someone who started their career in 2020, it'll be interesting to hear what he or she says in 20 years about the way they started and where they are. Totally now. agree. So we'll, we'll make sure to listen for that uh, whenever that happens. Um, okay, so you are a very busy woman between college game day, outside the lines, sports center, the ESPN Milwaukee radio show. And E60, for which you won an Emmy, so I want to talk about that. But when you look at all the different things you're doing, how do you balance out your week? And I almost hate the word balance because I think it's kind of an impossible, unfair word because none of us can really balance everything. But how do you break up your week? And when you're doing more than one thing like that at a time, how do you break it up and, and prepare and then also kind of balance the home life aspect of it as well? So this goes back to what you had mentioned before about relinquishing control, right? Because I have a Google mm-hmm. calendar just like everybody else. And I have um, all of these things that I have my my fingers in, all of these different projects that I'm doing. And like today, for instance, I have a podcast taping at 3 p.m. Central Time. Well, I'm not going to be able to make that because you and I are still chatting, which is awesome. But I had to text my co-host and be like, hey, can we push 30 minutes? There has to be a flexibility, especially in this day and age when like I'm at the mercy of some of these SIDs. I'm at the mercy of, you know, when my kids go down for a nap, right? It's just a totally different thing. I don't just leave the house now and then I'm in work mode. You know, you're in work and mom and wife and neighbor and friend mode, like you're in all of these spaces and you're trying to balance them all. Um, Juggle is a good word that I like to use, right? Like sometimes I feel like I'm one of those people in the circus that balances the plates, right? And you got to keep it spinning Mm -hmm. and you got to keep it spinning and you got to keep it spinning while they're balancing on the poles. Um, So sometimes the plates fall to the ground. The goal is for the plates that end up falling, not to be the expensive, important, right? Like fragile ones. It's, it's better mm-hmm. like the paper plates, let the paper plates fall on the ground. Um, because obviously you don't want, I don't want my kids to feel like they're being neglected. My job is certainly important. It's how I, you know, uh, it's how I support my family. But some of these other things, you know, you have to realize where they are on the hierarchy and kind of be able to be just very flexible and fluid. So that's kind of my approach to all of this. Um, I try to plan out my weeks, but it doesn't always work. And so I've gotten much better. It's probably one of the silver linings of being in quarantine and during this COVID year of if it doesn't work out, it'll work out tomorrow, right? Like if we can't get this mm-hmm. podcast, we'll get it in tomorrow. And and I feel like a lot of people, like yourself included, are open to that flexibility. I feel like everybody is mm-hmm. kind of like, I know that I'm just doing the best I can. And I think that they're probably just doing the best they can. And so there seems to be a little bit of like empathy and understanding of like, no, totally get it. Like your kids just got sent from in-school learning to distance learning. Wow. That's a totally, that's another transition of like getting used to. And there seems to be some like compassion that's being extended between professionals of like, Hey man, I know you're just trying to survive. I'm over here trying to survive and thrive as well. So I got you. 
Yes, 100%. And I think you said two very important words for this industry, especially now, but always flexibility and fluidity. Fluidity. That I had trouble getting that one out. But being flexible and fluid in this industry, I actually think in some ways working in sports really prepared us for COVID because under normal circumstances, everything changes on a dime. You could have like, in my case, I could have my lead written and my story ready to go. And then in the final two minutes, something changes and we're going to have to start over. And that's just the way it goes. Absolutely. And look, do we all try to work ahead a little bit? Of course we do, right? So it's not surprising if, you know, the 49ers seem to have a game put away and then pull an Atlanta Falcons on you. Like oh, that happens. God, but you poor probably- fans. worked ahead and again we're all just trying to be efficient in what we do working um what do they say smarter not harder um but yeah what I've noticed at ESPN is there seems to be just a really great understanding of like this year is so strange I've had colleagues who have been who have been you know tested positive for COVID just before they've had to leave for trips. And like, there's a, you know, you get a little bit nervous, like, oh, are they going to be mad at me? Or like, no, like there's a absolute understanding that this year is just such an asterisk anomaly year that like, we're all just, we're all just doing the best we can, man. <laughs> yeah, You know what that, and that is, that is the theme of 2020. We're all just doing the best we can, man. That is 100% correct. Um, so I want to talk uh, about Holinsky's Hope, and that is, of course, something you won an Emmy for. So congratulations, uh, and you. a really, you know, am- amazing story. And you know, I have written down, as you saw in some of the questions, your most rewarding story, your most challenging, your and your most fun. But I want to start here. I don't know if that was your most challenging or rewarding or, or where that falls. But if you could just talk about that process, and then honestly, the feeling of winning an Emmy because. That's an incredible accomplishment and you've worked really hard in your career. So I just, you know, would like to know how that felt for you. Well, I never, ever in my life have submitted anything I've done for any awards. Um, when I was younger, it was because I couldn't afford it. <laughs> so I would see these people who would submit like multiple stories and multiple newscasts and multiple this and like for writing and for presentation and compilation. And I was always so jealous because I would think to myself at 200 bucks a pop, man, what would it be like to have that disposable income? Right? Right. What would it be like to not have to be like, am I going to you know, put gas in my car this week or am I going to go out to dinner this, you know what I mean? Um, So I was always so like, yeah, you know, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll be in a position financially where I can do that. And then I just got to the point where you're so busy, you know, just kind of like cranking and cranking and cranking that that seemed frivolous to me. Like, I don't have time to put a compilation together. I don't have time to, you know, figure out what stories I feel like really deserved, you know, credit from my peers. So when I got to ESPN, I was lucky enough to be on College Game Day very early on. College Game Day uh, for many, many years, won for best um, studio show, even though it's on the road, studio show uh, weekly. And so mm-hmm. I have several Emmys from being a member of the College Game Day family, which is awesome. But you also feel like you're just a piece of the machine, right? The College Game Day mm-hmm. is so successful, such a great show, like so lucky to be a part of it, but also like, oh, you know, I know it's because of all of the people, you know, myself included, that make that show so great. So to be nominated for a piece that I was the reporter on uh, with Russell Donalo, my producer, who happens to be a really good friend of mine, uh, was really, really special. But because of the subject matter, Tracy, because of how like personal the story was as well, like it 
I can't imagine another moment in my career topping it. I got mm-hmm. to know the Holinsky family really well through our story. And, you know, let me just pull the curtain back just a little bit. I had pitched the story after Tyler had died because I was aware of his younger brother's situation. There were articles written about Ryan's success and how he was one of the top quarterbacks in the country and had yet to decide where he was going to school when I came across it. And I said, I think there's something here, guys. I think this is a family that is grieving the loss of their child while also watching their other child, you know, step into the college football space. And he's not just a scrub. He's not just a, you know, maybe he will get a few minutes here or there. This is a guy who's one of the best quarterbacks in the country in his, you know, one of the top uh, quarterback recruits. And so what conversations is this family having, you know, about wanting to put their child in football and knowing that football, you know, played may have played a role in their other son's death. And of course, Mm -hmm. because Tyler had CTE, which of course has been associated with football in recent decades. So I really was intrigued by their story. So Russ and I went out in February. We had lunch with Mark and Kim and Ryan Holinsky. First time we've ever met them, never met them before. And we just, basically said, we really think there's a story here. We think we can spread awareness about, you know, Tyler's death, but also follow Ryan's journey in deciding, you know, you know, what he wants to do in football. And at that time he had already committed to South Carolina. Uh, He hadn't started a game yet. It was the spring before his freshman year. So it was still very raw for the Holinsky family. And, um, you know, this is where relationships come into play, Tracy, where like, it's important to recognize that when someone is sharing their story with you and sharing their pain with you, they have no obligation to do so. You may think mm-hmm. because you're ESPN or you're this other big network with big production, you're going to come in and you're going to like, they're just going to roll out the red carpet for you or like open up their hearts. And I always tell people like, that is a mistake. Do not think just because you come calling that they have to share their pain with you. So I was, we were really lucky and I think we handled it, you know, obviously so well that the Holinsky family trusted us and trusted Mm -hmm. that it wasn't going to be salacious, um, that we weren't going to, you know, um, take advantage of their pain, take advantage of their story. And that was really important for Russ and I, we, you know, that was a priority from day one was recognizing how difficult the situation was for this family, recognizing that when you go in and ask people to talk about their most painful and darkest moments that that can be traumatizing all over again. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm really proud of how we handled it because the relationships that we have with their family are still very strong. Um, So I feel like that's the best advice I can give for people who are in that space of reporting, certainly in the human interest space is like always remembering that they're not your stories that like, while I won the Emmy and Russ won the Emmy for telling the story, it will always be the Holinsky story that we were just lucky enough to share with the world. And I think that's really excellent advice in reporting and sports reporting generally that remember they're not your stories. Because you are telling even, you know, a story about a game is something that happened that other people played in uh, and a, a feature. I just think that's really important advice because I think it takes away entitlement from a reporter. Not that reporters should be entitled, but I think you're right that sometimes people are like, I'm ESPN, I'm this, I'm that. Uh, and I think it takes that away. And I think it helps you tell the story better because if it's not about you and it's about the people you're telling the story about, you're going to get a much better story. And I think it's something as we look at our world of social media 
and the internet and the 24-hour news cycle, sometimes that gets lost in there that the stories are not ours. They're about other people. Absolutely. And I think you're right about the social media playing a role in that because it's that instant gratification mentality. It's this thought that Mm -hmm. like, I want to know about this. Well, I'm going to just search for it on Twitter and there will be 16 stories that pop up about this, right? And like, Mm -hmm. it's funny because I feel like that is also atrophying our brain a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. we all have information in our brains that like exists. We know things, right? And we know that we know them, but because the information is at our fingertips, we forget like how to access our own files. We forget how to just take a moment and like find the information in our heads. And I always remind myself like, wait, give it a beat. Like, you know this because I can feel at times my intelligence like dipping Right? Like where you're like, no, I know this information. Well, it's okay. I'm not going to exercise my brain. I'm just going to go to Google and find the answer. But like, I really try to encourage myself to just pause and like go through the process of finding the information in my head. It may take a little longer than I would like. But Uh again, another point of the microwave society, but to your point about the information and stories being out there, like there's this expectation of, I want it, I get it. I feel like Ariana Grande right now. (laughs) Right, right, totally. I know that song is now in my head. I want it, I bought it. (laughs) But, But as a reporter, remembering that like, it's still at the discretion of the subjects, right? I saw people get feisty. I think it was about J.J. Watt recently when he was asked about the struggles that Houston was having and they were getting, you know, they didn't like the answers that he was giving. But again, J.J. Watt's been in the league for a really long time. And by all accounts, he's been pretty open and pretty transparent and always, you know, answers questions to an open mic. And so the one time that maybe he's a little short and frustrated about the team losing, you know, year in and year out and yet again, you know, he, people are like chomping at the bit to eviscerate him. And it's, again, it's that entitlement of like, well, we deserve, we're the media. We ask you questions. You can't be bothered to ask them. And it's always like, come on guys. Like he certainly hasn't made a habit of this, right? Absolutely. And I think it's also important and we all have a job to do and, and they have a job to And there's, you know, there's a give and take, but I think sometimes it's important to remember that like this is their job and this is their livelihood and this is what they do. And, you know, in the college game, you have players that that are looking to go to the NFL and looking to advance. And when things have gone really wrong, they are human. And when 10 minutes later, they have to sit in front of reporters who are asking a number of questions. Like Sometimes we can't always be at our best. And I think there has to be a human component and understanding there. And I think it makes you a better reporter. And I think it makes you, um, you know, the universal you uh, a uh, build relationships so that people do trust you and want to talk to you because, you know, we're all human. We all have bad days. Well, we and I want to talk about it. I talked to 16 representatives from the Big Ten last week for a feature that we did on game day for the return of Big Ten football. And I'm probably six or seven questions in with James Franklin, the head coach of Penn State. And he, we're talking about COVID, and he says, yeah, I haven't seen my wife and daughter, you know, since whatever it was at the time. And we're talking about months now where he, because his daughter is immunocompromised, and so he she and his wife are living, I want to say down South, maybe it's Florida. I don't want to misrepresent where it is, but he hasn't seen them. You don't think at some point that takes a toll on somebody. And like, again, not that the public knew about that, but I think about him now. And whenever somebody's having a bad day, I'm like, you don't know what's going on, 
or somebody responds in a way that you feel like is less than admirable, like you don't know what's going on. This is such, again, a strange world and, and strange, you know, just year for everybody. And I try to remind myself like, okay, like, there's, there might be stuff that's like happening that people aren't aware of. You know, maybe he hasn't seen mm-hmm. his orphan child for months at a time because of the situation. And just trying again to have a little bit of grace, a little bit of empathy, a little bit more compassion, just because again, we're all, we're all dealing with this new normal. That's 100% correct. What is something, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear what, what it might have been when you were early on in your career and I ask everybody this and I just find the answer so fascinating. Did you receive any criticism that was really hard to take, but that has made you a better reporter or better at your job today? Um, It's funny when you said, did you receive any criticism? I've always looked really young, which when I was younger was challenging because I think people wanted me to look older. So we Mm -hmm. had consultants when I was in Rockford they would do all of these makeup tutorials on you. And I'm the whole time I'm thinking, man, I'm never going to be able to recreate this. So I don't know why. <laughs> we're time here. Are you going to come here every day at, you know, 1030 at night and do my makeup for the late show? Or, um, so that, you know, that was always tough to hear because it's always like, well, what's wrong with how I look. Right. Which again, mm-hmm. goes back to like, you know, this is a t- super strange era that we're living in right now with filters and people changing their appearances and making their eyes look bigger and their noses look thinner and their chins look smaller. And like, it's just a strange, strange world. I see some of my female colleagues who seem to rely so heavily on the filters on social media. And like, Again, you do you, whatever makes you feel better, but I still feel like we're not sending the right message to the next generation of like what a woman looks like, right? And we're not Mm -hmm. sending the message to men of like, this is what a real woman looks like at this age, right? (laughs) Like, so that's a little bit of a tangent there. But I think a fair one. So the consultants early on were really frustrating. Um, But also I remember like one manager who said that my part was too severe, my part in my hair, like where your hair parts from left to right, which again was weird. Um, I always had um, people talking about my accent because I had a Midwestern accent. But when I lived in Wisconsin, you know, they have a certain um, kind of dialect as well, long O's, certain sounding to the A's. And from a national standpoint, you don't ever want to slip into some of those accents from certain parts in the country. You always want to kind of appear very universal. Um, mm-hmm. So that's tough when when somebody will be like, "Hey, you're slipping into your Wisconsin accent, eh?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so just being conscious of that in this industry. I have some girlfriends who have, you know, their entire career has been told that the way that they speak, you know, will keep them from certain jobs. Again, frustrating because you know Marty Smith is on the air and he talks with a very deep Southern drawl, and I don't, you know, people don't give Marty a hard time about the way that he speaks. Um, It just seems like the standards are different for women and for men, you know, across the board when it comes to the way that you present and the way that you look. Um, But beyond that, it's just kind of learning as you go. You know, I'll interact with some people who, you know, love me and think I'm a breath of fresh air and think that it's so great that I'm so authentic and real. And then I have other people who are like, "Ah, she's a little much, you know, and you're just never going to please everybody. So I always tell people who are interested in being in this industry, like, just try to figure out who your most authentic self is. People like real people. Obviously not Mm -hmm. on Instagram. We like fake, fake bots and fake people. But, But in the real world, I think we would prefer to hang out with people who are layered, multidimensional, uh, flawed, 
accept their flaws, recognize their flaws, or trying to improve on their flaws. Um, I think those are the people that I kind of find myself most magnetically drawn to in the storytelling space as well. You know, people mm-hmm. who have overcome adversity and not just adversity that like um, is out like that they've overcome out there, but in adversity that they bring on themselves. Like one of the most fascinating people I've ever done a story on is Lane Kiffin. And you could argue that Lane has misstepped at several of his career spots throughout, you know, throughout his time in college football and the NFL, but he seems to be continuing to try to evolve and continuing to try to improve. And he will admit that he's not perfect, but he's one of those people that you can kind of get behind because, you know, he is adorably flawed, if you will. And there's something to be said for being adorably flawed. Uh, and I would also even make the argument, um, maybe argument is a strong term, but I would say, you know, even on Instagram and on social, I know like for me personally, I'm more interested in the people that are like honest and upfront about who they are, what they're struggling with, what they're celebrating. And I think that, that there's something to be said for that. And I think it's kind of refreshing in social media when you really see someone's authentic self. So Maybe maybe we'll see a tide turn towards that as well. I feel maybe. like you and I just really came up with the name of my first book, which is Adorably Flawed. Like, if uh, I yes, write a book, it. right? And we, you heard it here first. If I ever mm-hmm. write a book, Adorably Flawed is certainly going to be the title. <laughs> I am super into that. Um, that's fantastic. Adorably flawed. Sometimes I think I'm adorably flawed. And if I'm the only one that thinks it, that's okay. <laughs> At least I, I, I'm happy with it. So that's totally fine. I love it. Well, we will be looking for that book on book stands when bookstores reopen um, soon, sooner rather than later. That would be awesome. Uh, okay. So before we get into five fun facts, also, Jen, I feel like I could talk to you for hours on end. I think you're amazing. So uh, I just want you to know that on the people that you say think you're a little much, I don't think there's any such thing. And I think you're just fantastic. So so nice of you to say. I appreciate that. Well, it's true. And I've been so excited to get you on this podcast. And it's, um, it's just been amazing. So before I let you go into your life, because I know that you do have a few other things to do, besides uh, talk to me, otherwise, I know you'd love to talk to me for hours too. I absolutely would. Absolutely. Um, I would love for you, before we get to five fun facts, for you to take us through a day in the life and you can pick any day. It could be a college game day. It could be Wednesday. It could be any day you want. Um, but I would love to just get a little glimpse into what a day in your life is like. Oh my goodness. So every day is different. Um, some Mondays I will be given my college game day assignment and I'll, it'll be full steam ahead and trying to you know, normally it would be travel, but right now in this COVID area, it would be setting up Zoom interviews. Um, the goal would be to have our piece pretty much in hand by Thursday. So you kind of stack each day accordingly. Um, when are you doing the interviews? When are you writing? When are you editing? When are you, you know, doing final edits and tracking and things like that? Um, but like today, for instance, I wake up every morning at 530. I leave my house by 6, 615. We have our production meeting for our radio show on ESPN Milwaukee, which is Jen, Gabe, and Chewy at 6.30. We're on the air from 7 to 9. Um, And then I come home. My daughter's, my one daughter has been up for several hours, so my husband will be with her. My other daughter wakes up around 9.30, which is 
perfect because that's when our one-year-old goes down for her morning nap and then spend some time with her, hang out. My husband leaves for his job around 11 o'clock. He does radio here in Milwaukee as well. He has a noon to three show. So he does radio from noon to three. So I'm with the girls mostly in the afternoon. They go down for their naps around 1.30 and then it's mom time. And that's when I try to get something accomplished, right? I've already done my radio show in the morning. So I'm kind of off the hook as far as like, oh crap, the day's wrapping up and I haven't done anything productive. Like, nah, you're good. You did a two hour radio show this morning. So I can let myself off the hook. I can breathe a little easier now that I have that. But this is when I do the podcast. This is when I will do, will research stories. I'll start searching um, local papers for features that might be applicable for college game day. Um, Maybe send something over to E60 if it kind of leans more that direction. Um, Catch up with a girlfriend, um, which is what I did this afternoon. Um, You know, just kind of whatever the day entails. And then obviously my son gets home from school around 3.30. He usually has practice in the afternoon. So we zip him off to football practice around five. Somewhere in there we make dinner and eat. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> down dinner around the table. Sometimes it's in front of the TV watching a football game. Um, and then I go to bed at 9, 9.30 because the next morning I get up so early. So it's funny how I like just detailed that to you, but like there's not a whole lot of time where I can just like sit and work. I do a lot of work like in the in-between times, like while dinner's on the stove and cooking, I'll be able to like hop on my computer and tap out some stuff or scroll through Twitter. Oh, that's an interesting story. Write up a quick pitch, send it to my bosses. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, last week, last Friday, I was in Madison for the Badgers, Illinois game. So that day was totally different. Same in the morning, but I had to leave my house at noon to drive to Madison, which is an hour and a half away, pick up my credentials at three o'clock, do a hit for Sports Center at five o'clock. The game was at seven o'clock. We were there until, you know, 10 o'clock and then got our post-game sound with Graham Mertz, who again is on the COVID list now for the next 21 days, and right. then went back to my house, got home around midnight. So every day is a little different. I do like the variety, but where mm-hmm. I can have things like set and situated, I actually relish in that like permanency. I relish in that like structure. That's fair. I can understand that, especially if it's not something you get every day. I could totally understand that. Um, All right. So last but not least is my favorite part of this whole thing. Uh, Jen, I do this with 49ers players and we do it usually, well, during normal times, we do it one-on-one like on my iPhone. Um, And during now, now times, we do it on Zoom. But it's an opportunity for them to share five fun facts about themselves that people wouldn't otherwise know. But on this podcast, as our listeners know, I ask everybody the same five questions every week. And it's awesome because we get five, almost every week, five very different answers. So without further ado, five fun facts. All right, Jen, what is your favorite moment in sports? Tracy, I am a lifelong diehard Cubs fan uh, growing up in Northern Illinois. So when the Cubs were in the World Series for the first time in 108 years, I made sure that my family was there. We went to game one in Cleveland, could not get tickets to Wrigley Field because, as you can imagine, they were just astronomically expensive. And I'm still kind of a cheapskate. Like, I'll <laughs> on some things, but like when you're when you don't have money, especially for a long time at the beginning of your career, you like tend to hoard it. You tend to like hold on to it. Like it's this precious jewel, like the guy from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so, I love it. 
So we went to the game, game one, and then we went to game seven. So we were there in Cleveland when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. I don't think there's anything in sports that will ever be able to top being there for that historic moment. That is amazing. Oh, that's I just got chills because that is that is so cool. I'm a really big Dodgers fan, uh, and um, I was in Texas last week for games one and two. So just the idea of you being there for game seven, I have chills. It's amazing. Yeah, you're right. Nothing, nothing will ever top that. What is your life motto? So my life motto has changed over the years, but most recently, the one that I identify with the most is joy over perfection. Like I could look around my house and I could see all of the things that I would like to be different, right? The clothes to be folded or the, you know, table not to be messy or like, you know, like all the little things, Mm -hmm. toys not on the ground, but like, I'm trying to really lean into the joy. And so the more I remind myself to like, just enjoy this moment, instead of looking at all of the things that you could be frustrated about, if you lean into the joy, I find that I'm so much happier. And I don't think it necessarily is just about like your home life. I think work as well. Like sometimes you can get overwhelmed with the frustrations of work. Like, oh, I pitched this idea to a producer and they said, no, they'd rather go in this direction. That's so frustrating. I'm the one that's here in the field. I know what the storylines are. But like I'm covering a sporting event for a living. Like, hello. You know, so you just remind yourself, like recalibrate, reset, reframe. It's super valuable in so many aspects of life. I think the tagline for adorably flawed might be adorably flawed. Embrace your joy with Jen Lotta. (laughs) (laughs) That also might be the name of your talk show. I don't know, but I think there's something there. (laughs) Um, What is your go-to workout? Um, I, look, I'm all about variety. So I feel like the more you change it up, the more you kind of keep your body guessing. Um, but I'm really big into running right now because my husband and I are doing the New York city virtual marathon. And so I'm actually supposed to run it tomorrow. He did it this past weekend. He was smart. He got a bunch of his radio listeners to run it with him. I'm doing it all by myself tomorrow after my radio show. I picked tomorrow to be nice. It's supposed to be like high fifties here. And it's been like in the thirties and forties the last week or so. So hopefully it'll be a, a nice warm day, late October. Um, so I've been running a lot, but like I'm one of these orange theory type peoples. I love like, um, hit workouts, anything like that shocks my body into submission. Um, I'll do just about anything. I've done triathlons. Um, so any, you know, I've done tough mutters, like anything that really is like a real challenge that afterwards I can feel proud of the accomplishment. I'm totally in. Oh, that's so cool. And that's so cool that you're doing that tomorrow. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear is it, that. Is it amazing or is it obscenely stupid? <laughs> no, I think it's, I'm going to go with amazing. I really, I think that's incredible. I'm going with amazing. You have my support. <laughs> I think it's incredible. Uh, what is your go-to coffee order? Because you're probably going to need some before that marathon. <laughs> So I don't do a lot of caffeine, but when I am struggling, my go-to coffee order is I'll roll through McDonald's, I'll get an iced latte, no drizzle, no whipped cream, try to keep it a little bit healthy so it's not just like inhaling sugar. Um, If I go to Starbucks, I'll get a chai latte over ice or a hot chai latte depending on the year. But I got to be honest with you, I probably have one or two coffee drinks a month. So I'm right. I just ride high on adrenaline, man. I just try to power through. But the thing about that is when you crash, you crash. And like, so around nine o'clock, nine 30, Tracy, I just crash. Yeah. But that sounds kind of, you're, you're my hero. Coffee is my jam. So I, I think that's, a, I, again, I think it's amazing. Everything. It's just amazing that we should just call this the amazing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Get my job. Amazing edition. Um, what is a book every woman should read? 
Oh gosh, there's so many books. Um, I'm really guilty of like, I'll start a book and I'll be super into it and then I'll get distracted and like not be able to like finish a book. So I've got all of these books around my office that have like um, a card stuck like halfway through it where I stopped reading it. But it doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy the book. It just means that I got distracted and then forgot that I was reading it. And then like, I'll come back to it like months later and go, I really should finish that book. And I never do. But I'll tell you the books that I have finished recently. Um, I read... Everybody Always by Bob Goff, I think it is. Um, and I just thought that that was such a nice reminder, again, kind of what you and I were talking about earlier with this COVID area, era of everybody just doing the best that they can, right? And it's about how God didn't tell us to love, you know, some people some of the time. It's that you're supposed to love everybody always. And it's a really hard lesson to, like, embrace and to practice. But it's it's just a really – it's an easy read. It's delightful. He's just – his voice is really um, – soothing. It doesn't feel like he's lecturing you about how you should be. It's kind of just like encouragement. Like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we all approached everything like this? So I always tell people it's it's one of those books that like I actually did finish and I've actually thought about picking it up again just as a nice reminder. But you mentioned Untamed earlier. That's the book that I'm in right now. And I'm just doing a little turnaround. So to my point, I'm on page 97 of Untamed. I also okay. have the audio edition, and I'm probably going to listen to parts of it tomorrow during my marathon run. Oh, that's a great idea because it's a really inspiring book. <laughs> that's a really, really good idea. Yeah, I'm going to need all the help I can get to to get through that sucker. Well, I'm really excited to hear how that goes. Again, this really was amazing. Uh, and I, like I said, I could talk to you for hours. So best of luck tomorrow. Thank you for coming on the pod. And, and thank you just for being so open and transparent. And you gave us so much really great advice personally and professionally. And so I just really appreciate your candor in all things. Well, I appreciate that. The only thing I would tell you is it's not advice. It's just encouragement. Because I always feel oh, like, I like that. what works for me might not work for other people, but it's a way, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I got jammed up with this years and years and years ago where somebody asked me, you know, the what I did the night before an event. And I was like, I just gave everyone as much advice as I could, you know, wanted to, and they were like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and when, when I got the feedback on it, it was like, if you had just said encouragement, there's something so much more palatable about encouragement versus advice. And I was like, God, you're so right about that. Like, if you say that you are giving advice, it makes it come like there's a hierarchy. Like I'm up here and you're down here and I'm giving you advice, but I feel like it's encouragement and we're on the same level. And to the point that we've talked about so many times here, we're all just trying to do the best that we can. Right. And if I have some tips that may help you get through whatever you're going through, happy to share them. Why do I need to keep them secret? There's, you know what, then that right there is the key. You don't have to keep it secret. We're better together. We don't have to compete. So thank you for your encouragement. Uh, and I love that. I love that uh, encouragement over advice. Thank you for your encouragement and your tips. Uh, and everybody, if you like what you heard, which I know you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Jen, thank you again. And everybody else, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, all 
sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the First and Tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First and Tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we We think think we're we're funny funny AF. First and Tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstandtenspodcast.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.